Welcome to Modern Anarchy, the podcast exploring sex, relationships, and liberation. I'm your host, Nicole. On today's episode, we have Juliet Barrett. Join us for a conversation about inviting more curiosity into our lives. Together, we talk about the level of inertia needed to break your own reality the divinity of a sex shop, and blowing bubbles before pegging. Hello, dear listener, and welcome back to Modern Anarchy Podcast. Hello, hello. Oh, anytime I get to talk about relationship anarchy is such a joy. I know, dear listener, you've heard me talk about my dissertation on relationship anarchy and all of the research that I have been doing to explore the phenomena, this relational practice, this philosophical practice, and I am so happy to share this conversation with you today. Relationship anarchy is not about who you're having sex with. It is not about any sort of romantic relationships. In fact, it's about the deconstruction of the priority we place as a society on those types of relationships into a much wider community connection and intentionality with relationships in that community. One of the relationships that is important to talk about in terms of power structures, cultural narratives to examine, is religion, right? We've had so many conversations on this podcast together about how a relationship to God, higher power, impacts our sense of self and how we move about through the world. So, of course, relationship anarchy, that questioning of power structures, questioning of narratives would be really related to a patriarchal religion like Christianity. Hmm. And the kinky part. Oh man, I just, uh, I think back to my early days of Christianity and, (laughs) Jesus, Um, I was told that I would need to submit to the authority of my future husband because he is the head of household and because he has a direct relationship to God that I don't have. Submit to the authority of my husband. Mm, How kinky, right? Those power plays. But in some ways, it's not kinky at all, right? Last week's intro, I was talking about the deeper question of free will. Is there free will in purity culture when you're surrounded by these sort of beliefs and these cultural narratives, ones that were inherently harmful for me inherently harmful for Juliet, and go back to my conversation with Dr. Rachel Smith, right? The grooming of purity culture. Is there free will in that? Was there choice? And without that, can you consent? So I would say Christianity is not kinky because there was no consent in that power dynamic, and kink is all about The juicy, beautiful play of consensual power exchange, right, my friends? 
And so, but for the episode and for the joy of the bit here, right, we talk a little bit more about the ways pain was really sensationalized within these narratives. And it has taken a long time to deconstruct those narratives and step into a place of empowerment. And relationship anarchy has been a huge piece of that for me. I completed my doctoral research on relationship anarchy. I had so many beautiful research interviews with people in the community that were changing and inspiring me. And I decided to continue that research on the podcast so that I could share these powerful conversations with you, dear listener. And I'm inviting you and all of your community to contribute to this research, to share your voice. On my website, modernanarchypodcast.com slash relationshipanarchy, I'm inviting you to answer seven questions on relationship anarchy. What is it? How do you practice it? Why do you practice it? How does it affect your practice of intimacy? What are some of the joys? What are some of the difficulties? And what do you wish other people knew about relationship anarchy? Oh, dear listener, I am getting so many responses on this form, and it is such a joy to read how you practice relationship anarchy, how you define it, why you do this practice. It is inspiring to me to get these responses each day, and part of the invitation to continue the research is the opportunity to have a one-on-one conversation with me where we flesh out these details more, and then select interviews will be a part of a series on relationship anarchy. Dear listener, I have already recorded about four or five of these special series interviews that I'm going to be sharing with you this year. They are so inspiring. I am being changed by each one of them, and it is why I wanted to pull this research into the podcast. I was just having so many good conversations with my dissertation that I couldn't share with you because of the ways that you conduct research in a academic institution and I wanted to have my own citizen science space where we could all contribute to this and have a much larger community conversation. So if you're interested in either writing some answers out or joining me for a one-on-one conversation to be shared potentially on the podcast as part of this series, then head on over to modernanarchypodcast.com slash relationshipanarchy. I have in the show notes the link right there for you, so you can head on over and stay tuned. This select series of Relationship Anarchy research interviews will be coming to you soon. And dear listener, before we dive into this episode, I want to invite you to listen to that voice that craves more for your relationships, that inner healing wisdom, your gut, the intuition that says more is possible, that calls you towards greater expansion deeper connection to authenticity. I believe in the power of that voice 
and the soft whispers that can become a dance of trust and evolution. And of course, in that journey, it's quite messy, dear listener, let me tell you, but that voice gets louder and louder and the pleasure more abundant and ever-present. Dear listener, I love you, okay? Keep doing your thing. You're great. (laughs) And together we will keep learning and growing in this space. And with that, let's tune into today's episode. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? (sighs) Well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. So then the first question I like to ask each guest is, how would you introduce yourself to the listeners? My name is Juliette Barrett, and I am a lifelong creative artist who works across many disciplines to keep figuring out how to be a person. Yeah. Fun. <laughs> and am queer. I am also a lifelong student of growth. That's a, just a huge value of mine sure. that pretty much shows up in my <laughs> artwork. It shows up in my day job at the plant mm-hmm. shop. It sure. shows up in the the illustrations I draw, um, nature, and how to facilitate healing through this study of existence mm. is a huge part of how I relate to the world. Mm-hmm. Beautiful. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Relationship anarchist, which yes. we'll get to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> relationship anarchist. <laughs> Reformed horse girl. Ooh. <laughs> Is there a tattoo somewhere? No, there will be. There oh, really? Okay. Will be. Yeah, that's got to happen sometime. Sure. Um, and comedian. Right yeah. now, that's a, yeah, that's a big one for me. I would say blooming, budding comedian. Exciting. Hell yeah. Um, lifelong performer, but we're, we're just starting to take life a little less serious. I love days. that for you. Congratulations. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, it's, you know, you've got to heal from religious trauma one way or the other. Sure, yes. <laughs> what a segue. <laughs> Tell me about it. Where does that journey um, start for you? And I want to invite you to take the full space, if that means from childhood, from wherever that journey starts for you. I'd be curious to hear more about that. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. It feels weird taking space with this because mm. it's something that took – up so much space in my life sure. that healing from it often I feel it's this catch-22 of like yeah I want to talk about it I want to share because this is a huge part of where I come from mm-hmm. and also you don't get more of me you know there's that kind of scarcity it's like sad child that is like I've worked too hard to get this far to still give my time and energy to the sure. thing that hurt me sure but I think I'm turning a corner mm. and it feels really good to get to talk about it with you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I'm excited about that. Very exciting. For me, um, religion and specifically like fundamental Baptist Christianity, mm. um, which is a very specific 
version of Christian that believes that the Bible is literal. Ooh, I was there. Hence why it's called fundamental. Yeah. Um, it is this idea that the Bible is inherently written as a manuscript for existence. Yeah. So everything's taken literally. So for me, I grew up in that culture um, before, I mean, both of my parents grew up in that culture before me mm. and were raised by families that also practiced that form of Christianity. So it really was the, it is the roots of my family and ancestral mm. legacy. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, I uh, come from, you know, people say this, but like a line of pastors, like mm. that's kind of, if you know, you know. But actually? Really yeah, cut. but actually. Yeah. Oh, interesting. Uh, and okay. I was a pastor's kid. Wow. Yeah, which is its own form yes, it of... Yes, it is. Um, ...seclusion and culture in and of itself because of, like, the pedestaling that's involved. Sure. In modern culture, being a pastor's kid feels like you are on a reality show. Mm. Like, you're a reality TV show star, yeah. you know, where, like, you're performing experiences sure. and you're performing culture for people sure but it's all curated sure. it's all a facade because perfection isn't possible right and that's what jesus requires of you or what the church requires of you mm. you know in the name of mm-hmm. jesus and mm-hmm. so that is like the stakes i was born into mm. and that's my dad was a pastor till i was 11 so I was steeped in that culture. And then on top of that, the thing that I always like kind of double whammy just to to give an example of like how disconnected I was from something that from from this worldview yeah. or how steeped I was is like I was also homeschooled by my parents. Mm. So I had no access to any other ideology than what was presented to me yeah. as, as true. Until I was, like, a young, like, mm. uh, a preteen. Mm. I really went through life very secluded because I didn't go to school. Um, I didn't have activities outside of the church. Yeah. And when I was at the church, I was working as uh, a part of the kind of mechanics mm. of making sure that chairs were set up and Bibles were put and just really labor. A lot of it was labor in the name of God, right? Right. And so I didn't actually have access to community or pleasure because those things weren't seen as a good use of Mm. your time, Mm. you know? Like playing as a kid was like, you should be obedient and supporting your parents because Mm. we're following this ancient text this patriarchal ancient text that's saying you know you must be seen but not heard you must be silenced in order to be appropriate and then what that looked like for me and from like a cultural standpoint is like um like I would go to summer camp but it wouldn't be co-ed so Mm. like it was only other kids but because I was a pastor's kid I was like essentially siloed because I was weirder than the weird kids Mm, at that point like all of them went to public school they might have been you know immersed in fundamental Christianity and like also wearing culottes Mm. if you know you know know. right exactly you remember gaucho pants sure those are the only appropriate versions of shorts that uh, fundamental Baptist wears. Uh, yeah. Okay, so the okay, idea is like right. girls don't wear pants. Sure. Okay. Um, wow. You don't. Deep in this. Yeah, it's deep. It feels like I tell people if you've ever seen an Amish person, it's like a step aside from that, but sure. pretty similar in like dress code. Sure. 
So like no co-ed swimming when I swam, I had to wear like full, uh, I had to wear a full shirt and a full like dress situation. Yeah, I almost went to Liberty University. I thought about going there and then I had seen the massive dress code and I was like, what? It's wild. (laughs) Yeah. And that's considered liberal. Like that is not (laughs) – like in in the place I come from, those people are on the bad side. Yeah. Shit. Jesus. Yeah, Yeah, you were deeper in than I was. Oh, man. Man. Wait, so why did you consider going to Liberty? Because I was dating someone who was very fundamentalist. And so at the time I was influenced by their father who was like, you should – be going to liberty that's like where we're really teaching like the good stuff and getting away wow. from the liberal agenda <laughs> uh, so that is really close you were really close yeah i was really yeah, close but no. i couldn't i couldn't even do the yeah, i mean everything like yeah i couldn't do a dress code are you kidding me to work out like i had to work out with wearing things covered. what were some like, of the things on the list jesus i don't remember i just remember knowing that like i was gonna have to cover my shoulders or yeah. something to go run and as a yes. soccer player i was like are you kidding me i've yeah. like grown my whole life like oh my God. running outside you wear a sports bra and shorts jesus. you're going down yeah that was not gonna work that's <laughs> and that's why that did not happen honestly not. but for that's crazy to you think you dodged so, oh wow yeah that's wild to think from your world that is liberal and like slutty oh yeah that's crazy no I tell people like I grew up in a cult like fully like you have no access to outside culture you are indoctrinated with an ideology that's exceptionally oppressive you are you know beholden to two or three male figures as a representation of truth like just fundamental truth like it really was brainwashing totally and when you're also uh disconnected from even the people attending the church but are are seen as an example of those ideologies at their best Mm. it's so extreme it's genuinely uh the deprogramming has taken me so much work and energy and I, i mean Relationship anarchy has been one of the most healing mm. tools for me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Do you want to say more on how? Yeah. When you have your autonomy so deeply rejected, growing up in a culture that says you are inherently flawed, mm. you are inherently embarrassing, mm. right? Your body is embarrassing to the world, right? Or the message that you are property, you know, property of God, that you are property of a spouse, your property of the church, right? That like your time, your energy, mm-hmm. your spirit is mm-hmm. is beholden to this greater power. It robs you of boundaries. It makes no space for independent thought, critical thinking. And relationship anarchy puts me in a place where I am constantly turning back to myself as sovereign and the power on what is true for me mm-hmm. and requires me to stay in relationship to that question mm-hmm. so that I'm not I'm not letting all of that ideology control my growth. Mm-hmm. And I don't think that you can heal from something if you just run from it. And so for me, being in relationship to something that antagonizes 
that conditioning mm-hmm. is the only way I'm actually going to de- deprogram myself from those belief from that belief system. Like sure. the, sh- the just the deep shame. There's mm-hmm. so much shame that comes mm-hmm. in that culture. Just shame for existing (laughs) for joy yeah I couldn't dance I wasn't allowed to watch tv I hadn't listened to something that wasn't jazz or classical music or a hymn until like sixth grade yeah like Britney Spears was not an option really (laughs) absolutely not dang no I loved Britney Spears right I missed such (laughs) like literally all of culture Anytime, I always feel like such a fraud anytime Mm. I relate to something in culture. It's just come through so much hard work. (laughs) Sure, sure. It wasn't like I, you know, like I didn't, I can say so many lyrics to like the Spice Girls, but like I didn't actually love the Spice Girls. Like the joy I have from it from them is more about the connection I get to have with you in the moment. Yeah. I couldn't tell you anything about the Spice Girls era. Like I am so irrelevant to my own generational like touch point. Sure. I couldn't watch Harry Potter. That was that was witchcraft. So there were some lines here. But like Britney Spears was cool with my mom. (laughs) I love that. Yeah. I love that for you. Did you end up reading like, no. is that, see? I never did. Okay. And so, yeah, so, yeah, now I have, like, the whole now, Harry Potter connection. Jacob Rowling is a fucking turf, so. Apparently, I, think I don't you... even know the whole story. <laughs> I've only heard pieces. I'm happy for you. Yeah, I try to stay. That was, like, a happy discourse. accident for mom. <laughs> yeah, totally, totally. Wait, so did you, your mom, was your mom Mormon, but you weren't, like, my mom, how did that? Yeah, my sister converted when I was in college. Okay. But she was back home, my younger sister. And then her connection to the church drew more people to support my family when we were going through various hardships. And so then my mom, like, really got a lot of support from them and then converted Uh, and then is now apart. So then, yeah, my mom and my sister are both Mormon. And I would say I grew up pretty, like, non-denominational. But then dated someone who was very fundamental. And then that really, like, pushed things into it. And what – so with the Harry Potter thing – yeah. That wasn't due to Mormonism from your mom. That was, that that was, was Christianity. Just... That was just my okay. mom's belief around, like, yeah, witchcraft and that being part of the devil and stuff. Yeah. What I think is interesting is, like, I've been in one of my, like, group psychology classes. Like, I'm sitting around in a room with other therapists, right, in training, other mm-hmm. psychologists in training. And we got onto the topic of religion. And I started talking about my fervor and the way with which you were talking about how, like, how much it creates shame and problematic things. And I would say, like, is a big source of, like, my connection to anxiety mm-hmm. as a young kid. Um, and I would love to say more on that. They're like, I don't really understand. They're like, what are you – like, why? Like, it seems like it's not that bad. I think they weren't, like, conceptualizing how painful being in this religion can be because it's not where they've been. So right. they don't know to the depth. And, and like, there is obviously, like, a whole smattering of people that have a relationship to God and Christianity that is not anywhere close to what you've experienced or what yeah. I've experienced, right? I think maybe they come from that lens. So it's, like, interesting for me to think that there are therapists who, like, wouldn't know all of this. You'd oh, have yeah. to explain to them yeah. and teach your therapist about why this is problematic, you know? Yeah. And, like, Uh, I think that's – I often find the most healing with people who just have been there. Done it. Yep, exactly. Because then there's just a common understanding of, like, 
the level of inertia it takes to break your own reality. Yeah, exactly. Like, and that's how we get to relationship anarchy because yeah. you just start deconstructing everything. Exactly. You're it like, just, what is truth? <laughs> once you get the gears going, you can't slow down because it, it all starts to crumble. Yeah, it does real fast. And yeah. it also takes work to do that. It takes work. Yeah. And at a certain point, at least for me with like religion, with religion, I was like, well, if this thing isn't true, like so if everything I've been taught isn't true, what else is it? You yeah. know, like yeah. it kind of put me in a fuck it or find out sure. reality because, well, and for me as a kid, so what really crumbled that was that my dad as a pastor, I grew up as his pastor's kid, mm. so restricted mm. and then, and, and like moralized towards hatred and mm. judgment and mm. shame as like the way to relate to the world, oh. right? Always looking down on other people, always judging, always trying to convert people. Mm. I mean, like, and that, those mm. are the only emotions, yeah. right? A lot of anger. And then my dad came out as gay when I was 15 and totally was just like, blew all the logic, blew all of the truth, blew everything up. Wow. And I'm so grateful to him for that because yeah. it showed me that you can blow anything up yeah. and still survive and actually find a new version of yourself on the other side. Sure. And I happen to be collateral damage in his growth, but his growth demonstrated to me the world is not going to fall apart if you start finding and identifying better versions of yourself. Sure. And it might be scary and it might be really hard, but it's worth it sure. because what you find on the other side is a deeper connection mm. and it's a deeper connection to yourself, to your people, to pleasure. I mean, and who doesn't want to have more pleasure? <laughs> yeah. I mean, honestly. That. Totally. It's just such a hard journey to go through. Yeah, like but I, that's I, why I, the pleasure is necessary. Well, totally. Like, well deserved. We fucking got here. <laughs> Let's have a good time. Totally. I mean, man, I'd want to talk to your dad, too. And just he has a like, book. Okay, I'll, yeah. Yeah, I can I'm plug just, his book. Yeah, because I'm just like, ooh. <laughs> it's like, it's not my story ooh, to tell. Ooh, yeah, no. yeah, 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 yeah. No. But, I mean, powerful. Because, I mean, I don't know how you identify today sexually. Yeah, I identify um, genderqueer, genderfluid, trans – they, them, mm -hmm. babe, with a, a kink for exhibitionism. <laughs> Hell yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's a comedy workshop, really. Yeah, well. yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, and, a, and a masochistic penchant for growth. <laughs> mm, the self-care aisle is I'm your... always edging my <laughs> yeah. own reality. <laughs> Do you take breaks? <laughs> I'm learning. Yeah, okay. I'm learning. <laughs> Me too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, definitely. You can't grow in every direction at once, and that's something that my Virgo rising doesn't like to hear. Sure, <laughs> sure. Always on the run, always yeah. on the run. But yeah, I mean, I think there's just – a lot of the people on the podcast um, have written in to say, like, how meaningful it's been to have a space where someone talks about the spiritual trauma of this, mm. right? I, in a lot of ways, would accredit my anxiety from my religious – upbringing like for what i was taught was that i'm inherently sinful i'm constantly going to sin and i need to be watching my thoughts because there's in a fundamental lens right it says that even thoughts of hatred is murder in the eyes of the lord yeah 
Yeah. So then when you... wild. Yeah, so when you read that, that means that even if you think about hating someone, you've committed murder in the eyes of God, which means you need to repent. And if you don't repent, you know where you're going? To hell, where you will be burned alive for all of eternity. And God forbid I die today, and I have not repented to God. So that means that every single day, I'm constantly in my head going, okay, did I say anything? Did I do this bad? Oh my God, oh my God, oh my God. Talk about creating anxiety. From a young age, I'm constantly scanning my thoughts for the one wrong one that could send me to hell. Yeah. Oof. Yeah, let's just take a moment for that. I know. I'm like, I don't like that. I don't like that. I would not teach a child that. No, I would not. You know? It just puts you in a constant state of fear. Yep. You just learn how to oscillate in your fear zone. And that becomes your orientation to relationship, to relating. Yeah. And then you, you're you not relating. You're cut off from everything. And it's isolating. And yeah. it's just really miserable. Yeah. Some people find community, though, in it, though, right? Like, then that's when you feel people come together and be like, oh, God, I've been, I've been so sinful lately. I've been praying to the God. Like, remember no, being I in the definitely. community? Like, that's yeah. what it was like. That's like, why, come that's, to like, the penance, like, the whole concept of penance, <laughs> like, and, like, really, yeah. like, loving – I mean, the lack of boundaries in Christianity really creates space for a lot of kinky connection because Mm. you can't be visible in your joy, but you can Mm. be visible in your pain. Sure. And so you find the visibility (laughs) and you start enjoying it because it's the thing that's rewarded. Mm. It's the and like that's kinky as fuck. Damn, you know what that is? That is at that is the Sunday church when you are there with all of your people and then you start to cry with that one song going like, Oh my god, I am so so, I am so miserable that God is forgiving me and I'm crying right now and I'm feeling the spirit move me. Yes. Damn, so interesting. I never really thought about that frame as a spirit. Take me in. Because I've been so bad. Please. (laughs) Cleanse me with your blood. Like blood fetish anyone? Come on. We're eating the body of Christ. (laughs) Like the carnality is everywhere. It's It's in the language. If you ever listen to a praise song, praise songs are so horny. Yeah. I love it. (laughs) It's so interesting. Such a frame to look at that whole experience through. Yeah, I mean, to me, it's, like, how I cope with it. Like, yeah, that's my it, healing. Like, totally. Kink has offered me a way to understand power dynamics. Sure. That, like, the the power dynamics of, like, God and Christians, like, mm-hmm. the absolute devotion is so kinky. Mm. Like, the, the dominant and submissive, like, the way the devotion is seen as being submissive mm. is inherently submissive. Mm-hmm is very much like what you explore in the kink world of, like, surrendering your autonomy. Sur- you know, maybe not your autonomy. I want to take that back, actually. Sure. Like, you're not surrendering your autonomy in kink. Playfully with but, lots yeah, of consent, but maybe the, we are. <laughs> surrender and the permission yeah. to be able to share your autonomy with someone else in an active connection yeah. is what people come from when they're singing to Jesus and they're lifting their arms on the fucking stage, mm-hmm. like truly worshiping because they're getting off. At least I'll, I'll speak for myself. I was getting off mm. on a fantasy. Sure. <laughs> a fantasy of what I think God is, of yeah. what I think a perfect reality is, like getting mm-hmm. off on – uh, a delusion because 
that's the only thing that I was taught was valuable, right? Mm. Was like worshiping a figment of my imagination Mm. as a better reality than the one that I've been given. Mm. Which, man, that puts you in a constant struggle with with your reality of like, then yeah, why are you here? What is the point? You know, and I think that's really where religion is a pipeline into things like compulsive monogamy. Because it's like, what else is there if like, this is, this will never be enough because I'm always edging for a big daddy God in the sky. Mm -hmm. Then, then I get married and I procreate in the name of God and I convert other people to also believe in this thing. Yes, obviously. Like, For me, when I think about these things, I think about it in the fact that, like, we're all storytellers and we live through lenses and frames of meaning, like, existentially. So, yeah, like, if you come through a path of lineage that then talks about this is the reason for why we have sex, right, which is not pleasure, it is to procreate, then it creates this, you know, sort of subsequent narratives of, yeah, what is possible and how you connect in that way. It's just some people like thrive there. So that's the thing is like some people – and this is I think right where I get up to my edge of like comfort. I think talking about these things like in a cultural way of like holding space for the people that are enjoying themselves and finding like a beautiful narrative that they're enjoying of creating that monogamous frame yeah. where you create this and God constructed this and you're doing all that and it feels really good to them. And then like this other like – feminist queer side of myself that looks at the lens of it being so deeply patriarchal right like father son male at the head of the household how do we hold nuance for like the different ways in which people do connect to that like narrative of god in in a way that maybe isn't as patriarchal as what we experienced it's so it gets really hard for me to have nuanced conversations about religion because like i want to respect the spaces of people that feel good and feel thrive and thriving in it but then i also do ask deeper questions of like is there still suffering there that maybe they're not aware of in the same way that like when we live under fucking capitalism, we're all suffering in a way that a lot of people don't even think about because it's hard to imagine any other world. Oof, how do you talk about these things in a way? Everything is nuanced is usually what I end up hitting at. Everything is nuanced, people. Jesus. And I think also like I'm speaking from my perspective. Totally. I feel very strongly and I feel very convicted because I had really extreme experiences. Yeah. And – I'm not going to protect anyone from my experience. Yeah. I, it amen. also doesn't have to be yours. Totally. And it doesn't mean because I feel so strongly about mine that I'm condemning yours. Yeah. If it feels like condemnation, then my invitation is what feels true about what I said. Sure. Right? And if it doesn't feel like condemnation, then maybe we can connect over the really hard stuff, the stuff mm-hmm. that is extreme, that does need to be pointed out. Because yeah. – I lived my life being told to be quiet and I lived my life not questioning and not like exposing things and being passive aggressive about what I saw was oppressive to myself, to other people. And part of my healing is speaking up about it because that is where I came from. And I still know that there are spaces like that that are creating harm. And if it makes you happy, like I went to college with this huge group of I was still Christian in college. Mm, like Same. Yeah. It wasn't until after college that I just fully started questioning everything. 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 <laughs> but I needed that safety net in college. Yeah. And I found this really great community of people. And many of them, you know, had kids like senior, you know, like married. Oh, I went yeah. to so many weddings. 
and have and have found the kind of security that you're talking about yeah. in their lives. And I don't begrudge anyone joy or happiness. Right. But I do want to exist as a disruption to the idea that that happiness is the standard or guarantee for everyone. And that's probably the best way to say it. And that is the pressure and that is the expectation that is touted to you Mm -hmm. by the religion, the practice of the religion. Yeah. So if you're not regularly disrupting that, I have a really hard time trusting what you call as happiness for something that I want to relate to. Mm -hmm. And that's okay. Your happiness can look different than mine. Mm -hmm. But then also, like, how does our oppression look different? How does our relationship to power look different? I think it's all connected. Yeah. One, thank you for sharing that. Your lived experience gives you positionality to call out some of the shit, right? Yeah. And that's always what I try to say, too, is, like, when I would get pushback from my classmates about this on this sort of stuff and like cultural context, I'd always be like, I don't know, but from my experience, I went through shit, yeah. right? So like being able to name that with that passion is so needed. Not that I should be here to deem anything ethical or unethical to be very clear, but like this idea of when someone's in a religion where it's inherently unsafe to be gay – do we have the right to condemn it? Because we know that inherently there'll be a chunk of people who are gay in that population who aren't able to be themselves because of that? Or do we sit back culturally and just say that's their culture and they get to do what they're going to do? Well, I can't speak for the culture because I am of no – like. yeah. I can speak from – this is where relationship relationship anarchy actually takes a lot of pressure off of me. Yeah. I have to be with the culture. I have to be working from my place of autonomy. And one of my values is compassion yeah. and generosity. And a huge part of that is because I need that for myself. If I'm not giving that to you, I'm not giving it to me. Yeah. And I certainly didn't fucking get that from God. Sure. Or what I was given as, a, as an example of what God – looked like Mm -hmm. so that's how i connect to the divinity in me is like is am i showing up in compassion today am i unwriting that shame that was so entrenched in the way i saw my body and the way i i heard my voice yeah and if i'm doing that then regardless of where you come from what culture you're in what religion you're practicing if i can tap into my own compassion then i can be present with you in that moment And find our mutual humanity. Sure. So that I'm not speaking from a place of my trauma. That I'm not speaking from a place. Like, I can do that on this podcast because I'm here to talk about shit. Sure. Right? Yeah. But I'm not going to take this dialogue and spew it at the first Christian that I have coffee with. Right? Because that's not why I'm there. I'm not talking at them. Right? If they want to know my story and my feelings, I'm happy to share that. I think that's where relationship anarchy puts me in relationship to how I'm orienting to every interaction, to every person Mm -hmm. from a place of my deepest integrity, Mm -hmm. right? What is the kindest, most generous way I can care and tend for myself in Mm -hmm. a way that reflects back in all of my interactions Mm -hmm. with my web of people, Mm -hmm. right? Whether I consider you a lover or I consider you a friend or a friend lover it puts everyone on a in, on a, in an equal a place of equality that asks me to be responsible for what I'm bringing to the table and let the rest go. Sure, because um, I can't control them, and that's not love. Sure. And so I want to be acting from a place of love, and that means 
showing up in in the fullness of my love for myself and compassion and generosity as much as I'm capable and then being open to what you're bringing. Mm -hmm. And then we can go from there and we can co-create it. Those other factors of our identity will play into it, but at least then it's a dialogue and it's a conversation and I'm not just showing up with my judgments of where you come from because of the things that hurt me. And I don't even come with judgment. I guess I come with like a desire to save and this like really weird, you know, fucked up sort of like complex. Yeah, let me come back and save you. (laughs) Like it makes me sad when I think about my family, like my mom and my sister, right? Like being in a religion where like masturbating is a sin, aka, you know, like that. I I do know. Like that, that. Yeah, as a sex educator and someone who would claim to advocate for the benefits of like having bodily autonomy over creating pleasure and the sense of autonomy that that would create in a, like a, even a relationship anarchy identity sense of self that I I adamantly strongly believe in like and like the pressure that that can create in a relationship or then like you can only have it and that just it, you know like I I don't even have judgments I feel like I have this desire to be like hey <laughs> You know, it can be so much better. <laughs> but then, but then, relative, but then that's right? shitty to say better, yeah, right? So then that's why I'm like, yes, yes. So that's it, where I'm like, culture. It I don't puts mm, you in a place of disconnection. Mm. It puts you in a place of disconnection because you're yeah. inherently rejecting. And to me, that's judgment. Like condescension is judgment in my sure. mind, even if it's kind. Like if it's but, trying to be come from a place of like what we would say like good intentions but i disagree because i'm like what's my job as a therapist when i see things that are harmful and i'm like hey it's not condescending paid for that yes (laughs) i'm being paid to give love (laughs) that's true that's true that's true i do think that like in life though we can see things maybe that other people can't see about themselves right like oh for sure and that's that's the tricky thing but yeah but like do you have the trust and the relationship developed Mm -hmm. to be able to to speak into that well the reality is that like coming to my sister and being like hey that shouldn't be a sin doesn't land you know that's not that's not well because it's a statement yeah exactly it's on a point connection no exactly so that's why you just build a relationship where there's a safe space to talk about it Well, that's why i think values are so much more interesting to talk about than like even the word relationship anarchist are anarchist sure anarchist yeah go ahead even even or the term relationship anarchist it rejects all conformity and also it invites Anytime we we claim an identity factor, it invites assumptions. Sure. It invites projection. And yeah. that's fine. Like yeah. we use it just as like a way to ping and get an echolocation back that hopefully resonates a little bit deeper. Yeah. But we can't rely on the the buzzwords to do the work for us. And so I don't often first identify as a relationship anarchist because I'd rather just show you how I work. I'd rather just show up in love. I'd rather just show up as a person who wants to invest in you or is open. I'd rather show up in my boundaries and communicate that and just like teach you through how the fuck I am before we even get to the language because I have found so many and what I've learned through past relationships is like language doesn't mean anything if the values aren't in common. Oh, totally. So like – like with your sister, I'm like, okay, yeah, forget toys, forget all of that. But like, how do you all connect over pleasure? What's mm. something that you can do together that brings pleasure that you can mutually just connect over like, but isn't pleasure great? Sure. So how do we find another way to that same feeling? Well, I 
Well, yeah. Yes. Yes. Absolutely. And then continue to go from there. Because, like, yeah. I remember she did come to Chicago with me one time and we drove past the pleasure chest. Yeah. Yeah. And she's like, oh, my God, is that a sex shop? And I was like, yeah. She's like, can we go in? I was like, yeah, we can. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so like you know, all the jobs are I there. Love, you know, I, were, I have introduced many people to their first sex shop. That's good. That's a good. That's that's divine. See, is. that is divine. I I, is. I continue to try to step into a space of seeing my eroticism as deeply spiritual. Oh, it, it is a part of my like life force energy and how I feel. Like when I'm deeply connected to my erotic, I'm usually in a playful stage and I'm wanting to like engage with the world and like mm-hmm. have interactions like that. And so like. For me, I'm trying to continue to, like, reflect on the ways that I could understand that through, like, a, a truly divine lens of, like, you taking someone to a sex shop is, like, a portal that maybe they felt unsure of stepping yeah. into. And with your support and your relationship, they're unlocking parts of their psyche that maybe they haven't explored before. Yeah. Like, that, I don't know. I find that divine in many different ways, but. How do you, when you said, like, it. I'm trying to, I see, I forget the exact language you used, but I see. Oh, pleasure is deeply spiritual. Oh, yeah, totally. I guess then, like, what does spiritual mean to you? Yeah, that's a good question. Well, because I definitely let go of religion, right? So I definitely knocked that one out, which is, like, structured and organized, right? So then for me, I spent a lot of time, like, thinking about what spirituality means. And then I reflected on that, like, a Rubik's Cube a million times. And then I was like, what if it was as simple as, like, the things that bring my spirit joy – does it have to be more complicated than that? Mm-hmm. My spirituality is going to go see Maggie Rogers play, you know, a set. And I'm just in it. I'm having that. Or I'm at dancing at Odessa and I'm having this moment in the crowd where everyone's, you know, dancing to the beat and the music is over us. And I feel the quote unquote spirit of the Lord. You know what I used yeah. to feel when I was at church listening to music, yeah. a little in the kinky realm of feeling shame about my life. But that same sort of embodiment of sensation and connection and meaning making and I don't know, it brings my spirit joy. Like, does it have to be more complicated than that? I don't think anything has to be more complicated. I think it's more like, how do you want it to provide meaning for you? Mm. Right. And if joy is something that you want to, if you want to get closer to, yeah. then associating that is a way to just essentially I think I boil down spirituality to like deep presence mm, that's it just like that with sex. deep 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 presence yeah the longer you can be with it the deeper you go sure and it can be anything it can yeah. be myself it can be silence it can be you know nature mm-hmm. it, it, like co-regulation mm-hmm. with nature with other people sure through connection. Because also for me, like, deep presence also invites being present with what's there regardless of whether it's positive or not. Like, mm. breaking this binary of, like, the spiritual bypassing of it all sure. around you can name that. Yeah. that joy and happiness and pleasure are all, like, what spirituality is, yeah. right? Maintaining that mm. is the point of spirituality. Staying gratitude. Right. Exactly. And no shame to any of that. Like, none of this is, like, contrary to, but what I've noticed for myself is that if I can just boil it down to deep presence, then I can be with whatever's there, whether it's, like, my grief yeah, and my joy mm-hmm. and, you know, my pleasure. Yeah. <laughs> Lots of conflict. There's actually a lot of conflict in deep presence because there's a lot going on. And 
I think the more I grow my capacity to be with my inner conflict, Mm -hmm. the more spiritual I feel because I can be present with it all and be in it and be with it Mm -hmm. without judging it, Mm -hmm. without shutting it down. But I do think that takes practice. And for me, that's where like the idea of spirituality uh, has come back to like offering Mm. healing to me Mm. outside of my religious trauma is being able to return back to myself and be present in the moment and observe what's happening in me so that I'm able to choose how I'm in relationship to everything else. Absolutely. Right? That deep autonomy, that deep presence. Because ultimately – my lens of the world is what I'm going to see, sure. and I'm responsible for that. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> That's what I've learned. Yeah. And continue to learn every day when yeah. we mess up, right? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. For me, what also has been mm-hmm. healing is like allowing then those things to become joy mm, because I'm totally. so used to the pain and I'm so, <laughs> you know, like <laughs> I've been there, sure. like Westboro Baptist, that shit, like sure. it's just pain and anger, baby. Sure. Sure. Um, growing a capacity for pleasure and for joy and for for being able to be witnessed in those things is such a way to be connected yeah. to each other that I don't get a lot of, right? Sure. Like, like, yeah, you have to go to a concert, right? To be able to, like, not to be able to, but socially, like, where are there mass groups of people that are just jumping at the mm, same time? Yeah. Or the unity that it brings, I think that connection – more spaces like that are definitely where I find healing outside of ideology. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I'm always talking about how like the more we can be in connection to our body and our experience, the better we can show up with other people around us. So like being able to have that connection to like knowing how you're feeling, what somatic experiences are coming up for you during a conversation, you know, or something like that. Um, And being so crucial to be in connection with other people I even look at spirituality as um, when I'm cooking and I'm, you know, making my little art for the day, right? Like my cooking is my art here. And like, I guess this is kind of where like my yoga background comes Mm. in. And like a lot of what you were saying was reminding me of my practice of Buddhism, which I feel like I don't know enough about to speak about in any capacity. A lot of it being like presence and not necessarily judgment towards specific emotions. Presence. Yeah. Yeah. Do you identify as a Buddhist? I don't. I read books on it and I like it, but I've never gone. I don't know how. I don't know what the box is to hop in to identify that, but I read books on it and I like it. Interesting. Mindfulness. I'm always talking about mindfulness. Mindfulness is like essentially a like a westernization of Buddhism cognitive behavioral therapy and the whole like they're mm-hmm. like here's this practice of doing this mm-hmm. which which like deeply has its lineage into buddhism so like when i'm talking about mindfulness someone could say like i am doing that i don't want to claim an identity that i haven't done enough like yeah some sort of research to claim into but i do teach yoga and they have a lot of the similar sort of concepts around breath and presence and then along with the sutras and stuff so how does um how does relationship anarchy play into like your yoga practice mm. Yeah, when I think about relationship anarchy, which should probably be a good idea to define, like, what we're each talking about with that, right? Because yeah. we'll have our own things with it. That's um, true. Which makes me think about my, like, dissertation research of, like, doing those sorts of questions. Um, I believe that we grow in relationships. I believe that the self is created in relationships. So, like, when I think about relationship anarchy, I think about my connections to lots of different things. 
I try to like stay away from this like sense of the individual and come back to the reality that like the individual is created through relationships with other people. I do believe an individual exists that has like gone through an existential lineage. Like you have gone through a storyline that is very different than mine, right? Mm -hmm. At the core of who I am is created through all of the relationships I have, my mentors, my friends, my family, like all those people are the mirrors, right? That create who I am. So I believe that I'm created in connection, in relationship. Right. So something like yoga, just purely just in general, when I, when I teach yoga, I show up in a space and I lead an experience with other people in a room where we breathe and we have this and like that creates a part of my identity. Like I see myself as doing this and having this experience with people, which is interesting. So then my sense of self is like created through that, which I always try to sit with. But I don't know. Beyond that, we could also take the lens of relationship to self. It helps me to be present with my body and my uh, awareness and has like deeply benefited my sexual pleasure realm, (laughs) like to be able to like build that practice. Because I'm always thinking that when I'm working with people who are like struggling to have good sex, it's like, well, like how long can I have you or ask you to sit in your body and just feel? Like how long can you sit in your body and just feel before the mind starts to race, wonder, go? And like usually it's little to none yeah the practice of yoga and being with my breath and trying to be there is a a deepening of presence like you said so then it changes how i show up with people and yeah how the pleasure that is possible and i also really love the fact or not i don't love it but like yes this continued like realization that the deeper you step into pleasure and feel pleasure more the deeper you can feel pain right like it's not like we get to pick or choose the emotions that we feel when the more you connect to them the more you feel them right maybe hopefully we handle them you know with more skills and tools etc but like damn you feel them you know i and i wouldn't trade it for anything no, yeah. like the deepening for sure. I think grief is the biggest uh, – has mm-hmm. been the biggest teacher for me in that of like how do you find yourself when you feel so immersed in a single feeling. Yeah. But in the process of being immersed in grief, I found all the other emotions. Mm-hmm. And I realized that grief was actually just a knotted up ball of all the other emotions that I hadn't been feeling mm-hmm. and forced me to be in relationship to mm-hmm. them because the pain was so great that it unmasked any coping mechanism I had to hide from how to feel. Sure. And that surrender to me has been a huge teacher in Mm. how to be with the emotion and be with myself Mm. and find pleasure in that. Mm. Because if you do it long enough, you get bored and you're like, well – if I'm the only one here, mm. I might as well have a good time. Sure. <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah. Like, I might as well find a way to enjoy this or maybe not even enjoy it, but to find a comfort mm. in it. You know? It requires so much of you that you have to explode to find other pieces. Mm. Pain, grief, they explode you, right? They explode you into these little tiny pieces of shrapnel. And you have to collect those pieces back. Mm. And or you find more versions of yourself reflected in the pieces and the shattering. And so although it might not be the same capacity you had before, it's a new version of the thing, of the joy, of the pleasure, of the pain. And that allows you to be with it longer because you're able to identify new reflections of yourself in the broken pieces Mm -hmm. of who you were before Mm -hmm. 
that experience before the great pain, whatever it is, you know. But I also, like you said earlier, like, I have to be careful that I'm not sensationalizing pain. It it can be a really slippery way to get into, as white people, a place of victimization. And also kind of like, yeah, joy in being the victim and and. That's also a huge part of evangelical Christianity and growing up religious in predominantly white churches. And progressive spaces at times. Well, yeah. Oh, definitely progressive spaces. Yeah, absolutely. 100%. I don't even identify as a progressive. Um, No, I definitely identify heavily radical. I I don't even know the Uh, difference. What's the difference between the two, would you say? Well, that's the thing is like it depends on how people relate to it. For me – like, my radicalism shows up in my confrontation with the status quo. Sure. It shows up in my heavy belief in interdependence. Mm, love that. As an orientation to healing, like, interdependence or else. Relationship um, anarchy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Exactly. It's not just about who you're fucking. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> For me, it's very much – so much more about, like, what is my orientation to how I'm showing up in the world. For sure. Because that's my job. That's that's I got one job and it's to be here and be me. Yeah. And the rest of it is up to interpretation. Sure. Yeah. So it's it I think it all gets to be a grand adventure and a and a great ex- experience. But if I'm always trying to like find my pleasure in the pain, mm-hmm. I'm also looking for the pain. Yeah. I'm it that puts me in a place where I'm I'm looking for the thing that I'm expecting. Sure. Right? I'm expecting the trauma. I'm expecting it. But then that takes it out space for imagination. Yeah, and play. And imagination and play is where we're going to find the world that we want to build, like abolition. Abolition requires imagination. And if you're putting yourself constantly in relationship to your pain, then you are, are defining your reality as inherently existent through pain and not only does that put you in in it can put you in a victim mentality it robs your curiosity of what else if not this right like if life doesn't have to be pain sure then you're not questioning what else it could be right the joy the pleasure the curiosity of what else right which is maybe easier to escape from depending on like where you're at yeah. Where you're at to the proximity of the pain point, right? The trauma. Like it's it's really hard to catch that when you've been in that right. constantly to even know that there's another space slash like what sort of pain are we talking about? Like it's hard to like get into a space of even like disassociating from it if it's like constantly the society pushing right. on you. So like whatever sort of context we have it in, we have to have this space where we can acknowledge like the reality of pain and also the ability to dream and see a different frame, right? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Like, it's tricky. Yeah. You can find pleasure in the pain, but for me, it has to always be nuanced, yeah. right? Like, that's where I can only be responsible for me. Yeah. And so I know what I need to heal. I know my triggers. I know my traumas. I know the shit that I'm afraid of. And it takes a lot of work just to be with that. Everything else I can let go of and trust that like if I'm showing up in compassion and generosity also like I have to be fucking messy to grow you have to be messy yeah, well that's what I was gonna say you don't know where right? all of your traumas are because no, you, no, I was you like have mm, to be willing can I to push be messy you? yeah, yeah. <laughs> and yeah. like 
And so that, uh, if you can find joy in the mess and just be like, yeah, I'm going to fuck up. I, I hate, am. I told you I hate that part though. <laughs> I'm a perfectionist. I don't want to mess up. Perfectionism <laughs> is only a way to disconnect you from reality. Stop. It, oh, <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> yeah, no, I know. I try. I work and there's it. no fun or imagination in it either. No, but I want to, I'm, I want love and I have to get love by being perfect. No. <laughs> I know. I know. I'm working on it. I'm working <laughs> on it. Where I'm like, we should go to the sex shop. <laughs> ah! Hey, I feel very confident there. It's when I'm doing co-therapy with like my supervisors in the room and I'm trying uh, to like do therapy with a therapy, you know, like yeah. your boss. And I'm just like, <sighs> yeah. And I go silent and I like don't, I don't, I just, oh, I'm working on it. Let me tell you that. Yeah. I'm, I'm getting better. It is my intention and I'm actively in a safe space where I can do it. It's right. just, you know, you care a lot. That's what I think about values. Like when we care so much and I want to do such a good job, it is actually paralyzing me. <laughs> you know what I mean? And I think like... It's like, woof, gotta take the jump. Yeah, like then like what's motivating the desire, right? Like what... I want to do a good job. <laughs> what does a good job mean? Does that mean like, you know, are you taking care of the other person? Does that mean that like you're getting rewarded? For, like, yeah. I, I think I think perfectionism, it's like well-intended. It's yeah. super well-intended. And there are also like full disclaimer, <laughs> like so many like mental health hurdles to get over to like perfectionism is just a symptom of so many other things. And, like, that's personal, right? Yeah. Like, I know, like, for me, my perfectionism can often come out of, like, my relationship to, like, how I cognitively process yeah. and proving to myself that I'm not struggling, yeah. right? Like, there, so, like, that's where my perfectionism comes mm. from. I, I feel shame about, like, not being able to perform. And so sure. I'm trying to mask it in order to believe you know, I'm flawed because I can't process at this level or I can't, you know, switch gears or whatever it is I'm struggling with. I usually use perfection as a way to believe that I can outthink my way mm. of giving myself love, you know. And my sibling says this to me a lot as like a reflection, so maybe it'll yeah. help you. But they always say like, when you're giving 50, it looks like 100 to everybody mm. else. Right. Yeah. And like, not that it matters what everybody else thinks. Sure. But that always takes me and puts me in relationship. When I think about that, mm -hmm. I'm like, oh, zoom the fuck out, get out of your head. Sure. And just think about like, instead of me, 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 me being super internalized and really neurotic about my own psychosis, hmm. usually it's in relationship to someone else. Right. Like, yeah. like you mentioned your boss. So like, how can you zoom out and think like, this person is offering me compassion. This person is is offering me generosity just by being here and being present. How can I trust that instead of anticipating judgment or uh, a lack thereof if mm -hmm. I don't perform at this imaginary level yeah. that I think that they have for me? Yeah. Right? Because, like, you know, that's placing a lot of expectation on them, too. Sure. You know? Yeah. Yeah. When I'm theorizing like human nature and stuff, I'm always thinking about the ways that we need connection and so are always looking for connection. And so like something like perfectionism to me or how I'd understand it would be that like at some point I experience some sort of 
relationship where perfection allowed me deeper connection. So I paired Mm -hmm. the two where if I do this perfectly, like, you know, I got good grades and then my parents rewarded me, maybe, you know, or like wherever we (laughs) want to pinpoint that, you know, society, who knows, you know, there's a lot of capitalistic internalization there. But like uh, at some point I was taught that by being perfect, I will get more love and more connection. So then when I step into a space where I'm needing to do my work, right, if I am perfect, then I I will be able to like, yeah, get love um, and feel like I'm safe and I'm doing the good thing, right? So then that's kind of how I conceptualize it when I think about these moments with people, myself, or like clients who are like very rigid. Is like at some point it was learned that like this is how I'm going to get more connection. Yeah. Our brains, our hearts are always trying to keep us safe. I practice somatic therapy so my therapist is a somatic therapist very cool um and it has for me unlocked so much less about my mental awareness and has actually helped me really reground and like connecting to my body first powerful and i have learned so much more about just how to have compassion for myself Mm -hmm. um in the things that I can't control, yeah. you know, like my triggers, sure. like like feeling out of control in my body makes me want to disconnect from it. And the reason that I feel out of control is because usually I'm trying to, to shut down something. I'm judging something. I think mm. something is wrong, right? Mm. Having a somatic therapist who walks me through not like logicking why something sure. is happening, but just being with it and saying, where is it? How does it feel? What are you sensing? You know, and, and, and taking me to parts of my body where that emotion is living and it's probably been reinforced by a million different things. Mm -hmm. At the end of the day, it doesn't really matter the causality of it as much as what is my relationship to how it's living inside of me. Yeah. Right. Is it really heavy? Right. Is it on fire? Right. Right. What is my body telling me about this pain or this fear that I can just be with Mm -hmm. so that I'm not constantly trying to ignore it, which puts me back in my head, which puts me back into like trying to logic my way around the why of why something happened or why something hurts or why I'm trying to be perfectionistic, right? And you can talk about that as long as you want, but many things are going to be true. It's not about trying to get distilled down into singularity. For me, somatic therapy has been really helpful in not getting lost in the psychological traps of, honestly, binary thinking. Psychology field has so much binary thinking, and you interview enough therapists (laughs) to learn that (laughs) um, because everyone's coming from a different pedagogy. Everyone's coming from a different place, and so – I think the way that I've learned to escape that, like go around the mental go around is to learn how to be in relationship to my body as the only authority and not even my therapist. My therapist is not more sovereign over me than I am because they have a license, you know? And so often we position care providers on a pedestal rather than as practitioners of a tool Mm -hmm. and a skill set. For me, it was always easier to believe that someone else had the answers 
and project that onto them than to be responsible for my own bullshit. Sure. (laughs) You know? (laughs) Sure. Absolutely. I don't know if you ever feel that pressure, but... Which, which part? Because I'm like, that. You, you said a lot there. I was like, I feel a lot of those, but which part? <laughs> Any of it that have resonated? Yeah. Deeper. Well, I guess, yes. Like, I, I deeply believe in the need for the somatic, and I've talked so many times about how it's wild that my current training program has not a touch of anything somatic. I think it's... Wow. I, I, yeah, exactly. So, right? So, like, there's continued to be, like, because of the paradigm of psychology being so cognitive, right, and, like, whatever we try to think we know about neuroscience, which is not a lot. Um, which that's like the most body we get. We don't ever get classes about you know like how to regulate or work or guide people through that. So I'm always talking about that, mm-hmm. and I think it's like a very nuanced yes and right. Like you can do all the work in the body, but if your narrative about your life is like a certain thing because of the relationships you've been in, like we can't ignore that part too. So it's like this yeah. like we need some sort of like combo of both, which it's frequently not. It's frequently yeah. cognitive. What happened? CBT. Oh, you're dysregulated. Goodbye. You know what I mean? Like that's not yeah. helpful for people. Yeah. But yeah, and like the idea of like worshiping and and like I remember yeah, like really looking to my therapist as someone who like knew all the answers and like thinking that. And I think that's where I'm always trying to be like I'm just a human. And it is true. Like working in my job, it, it's constantly reflecting on he- things of human nature and helping people and thinking about things. So like when we live under capitalism, right, and the reality that like the majority of people don't have the time or space to think about these things. Someone who does do this job spends a significant amount of time thinking about these things which lends them some level of credibility tools perspective however it's always located within their own perspective which is where the you know the ideas the bias the scariness can really come out so it's like if you don't have a critical lens to your therapist that's scary to me yeah that's really scary to me yeah like no the authority resides in you not therapist yeah jesus and i think my (sighs) my therapist and i practice talk therapy and the somatic therapy Very cool yeah. and a lot of times like I, when I explain to people because a lot of people don't know what it is and it's been so helpful for it to me as someone who was so disembodied was taught to be disembodied through Especially, religion yes there it is um I found that like oh I can talk my way out of anything like I t- I've talked my way out of therapists right like sure. I've had therapists go like you got a good handle, kid, you know, like, yeah, just like, I can't, you know, you seem like you really understand and you really, you know, just like, I've had therapists turn me away and say like, you don't need this. (laughs) And I was like, yes, I do. I have so much trauma. Um, And that's when someone sent me to to somatic. They were like, Mm. I think you, I think somatic therapy is actually where for you, like the bulk of the healing is actually going to work because you know, you can have an intellectual grasp of something. Like, it takes work to get there. Sure. But that – I had done that work. I think that helps as a natural storyteller, as a performer. I spent a lot of time thinking about sure. this shit, right? Thinking about my experience. Sure. And with a critical lens, with a creative lens, right? Like, also thinking how to interpret it for other people, with other people. But through doing that, I think I really realized – like, you can only talk through something so much. Oh, yeah. Before – you just got to cry. Yeah. Or you just, you know, and so what I love about therapists is that we get to a place where, you know, he's tracking my body language mm, as I'm talking. That's, yeah, I try to do that. And then he's able to kind of prompt like, hey, hey I noticed, I this. noticed yep. this when you said this thing. Yep. Do you think that we could be with that for just a second? Yeah. And it's always a like, let's pause. Sure. It's never like, hey, stop what you're saying. Sure. I want to go in this direction. Sure, it's sure, always sure. an invitation of, would you like to investigate that? 
or do you want to keep going on like your train of thought? Sure. And most of the times I, I like know frame. I need to listen to him. <laughs> well, what the, well, see, as a therapist. But I'm, I'm still choosing. On the other side, I'm like, I don't want to interrupt someone. Like, there's no, so, you know. No, fuck that. Well, that's why I'm paying you. That's, that's true. But, like, is it? Because you, you yes. know. I guess, yes. Yeah, I'm, I'm to more, hold an awareness I'm, that yes. I can't have of myself. Yes, my supervisor know? would tell me this. Well, but, but <laughs> I'm trying to respect your divinity. You know what I mean? But also, like, yes, I do. Like, that's, I like how right. your therapist framed it of, like, hey, I noticed this in the body do you want to check in with yeah. it or not versus a therapist who comes in and is like you need to check no, in do you see what's it's happening you know always like, an option an it's option always it's a, a choice. choice yeah and it always puts me in okay. responsibility I'll take, I'll take this into my right? work I'll yeah, take no. this into my Shout work out next to Benji. week <laughs> yeah. I told him I was like I hype you up all the time <laughs> thanks Benji you've inspired me I'm always me. spreading the news if there's anything okay fuck religion but also like I'm a big fan of somatic therapy totally yeah 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 <laughs> we're been working on play like mm. making play safe in my body because cool, that's something that, that I've how, how do you work on with. that in I was just gonna say yeah. so like in a session we did one of my old um theater games cool. where it's just a mirroring exercise yeah. where you make a motion with a sound uh-huh. and then the other person has to repeat it Ugh. and then build off of it Ugh. yeah and my. then we did that <laughs> we did that like just sounds and motions in our bodies for like 15 minutes was it in person or ritual oh in person yeah that would probably yeah. make a big difference huh it makes a huge difference yeah i actually really love that yeah do you think that sex and play are related absolutely do you think that something like that would be helpful for someone who's having a hard time playing in the bedroom or the dungeon absolutely or the- <laughs> yeah if you can make a goofy sound and like wiggle your body with someone you definitely can't orgasm with them or if you are it's gonna be coming from a place of much deeper effort let's put it that yeah. way it's gonna take a lot more work yeah so if you want to work less play harder yeah start small you yeah. know like it's hard for me to connect with someone I can't laugh with. Sure. You know? Yeah. And I find that um, with sex, it's very similar. Yeah. Like, I, it doesn't mean I won't have sex with you or I can't have sex with you. But if I'm looking for play, mm-hmm. particularly, if mm-hmm. I want to playful, that level of safety in the dynamic. Yes. Then that starts for me from the beginning. Yeah. You know? Mm-hmm. If we can't blow bubbles together. <laughs> sure. How are we going to laugh while I'm pegging you. <laughs> sure, exactly. You need to have that, like, play. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And then the somatic exercises, being able to do them in a safe container, direct. I would say, like, transfer that energy, right? Like, you were doing this experience where you're learning to play more in the body and feel good in it, and then, like, you take that into your play in other spaces, right? Yeah. I think one of the exercises that I really liked when I um, – when I've been training was a rope around us and drew a boundary and we're like, this is my space. Like felt into that. Like this is my space, my space. And then we would like stand up and have another person come towards us and we were invited to like feel into our body of when it felt too close. Mm -hmm, Um, mm -hmm. And I could like control the space. So like they take a step forward and like ask to like feel into my body. Like how does it feel? You can take another step forward, right? And then, like, it's it hit that point where in my body it did feel like, you know, like, this is a little close. And it was interesting. Like, it felt it, – my response was different based on gender, too, of, like, a male therapist versus a female therapist, like, which, you know, my own traumas and things and living under this world. So, like, I have different felt zones of how close I could feel with some feeling into that response in my body, though, was really powerful. And, like, you know, I'm someone who, yeah, teaches you whatever, you know, thinks I'm in my body. But being able to have that exercise and then kind of, like – 
feel into that in my dating life. When does it hit that same feeling of like, mm, I need that handout. I need that space. That's a really intense exercise for some people. Can bring up a lot. Yeah. Yeah. But also, isn't that why you're there? It is. Yeah, totally. But And then you have to gauge that with people of like when – Based on where someone's at, like, you know, because, like, what you did with your therapist, like, I don't know if I could do that with my therapist. Oh, we have worked really hard. Yeah, I'm like, I don't know if I could play with my therapist like that. We've worked really hard. And it's less about, like, our relationship and more, like, what is my relationship to myself? Like, do I trust myself to be safe? with this person. Sure. Am I finding safety in my body and my capacity to be able to be vulnerable like that yeah. without projecting or giving them the power to determine that for me? That's powerful. You know? And that's something the other thing about like I feel intimate with my therapist. Like I trust him sure. deeply. Yeah. I trust him because I have invested time and energy into practicing trust with myself. Yeah. And through that I can show up more openly, more vulnerably with him. Mm-hmm. But it's not because I know a shit ton about his life. I don't know anything about him, mm-hmm. really, at yeah. all. Yeah. And that's the beauty of having a care a care provider mm-hmm. hold that space with mm-hmm. you. But ultimately, I'm doing the work. Having that permission to, in myself, keep pushing my trust helping my capacity grow for trust is what allows me to be playful and allows me to make prolonged eye contact (laughs) with my therapist without feeling really intimidated or squirmy. For sure. For sure. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's always important to like, yeah, not idolize a therapist and like still understand it's a relationship. We're both showing up and when you're in that space, it's one hour and then you do all the work outside of that. You know, it's like Jesus, you know, like when people like credit everything to their therapist, that's always a little scary to me. Well, and I think about relationship anarchy in yeah. that way, for me, what it provides is when you were talking with Max Hill mm. about the smorgasbord, which yeah. I'm a huge yeah. fan of. That's been such a great tool for me in my journey sure. um, and past relationships and it's something I, I share with people all the time when yeah. they're like, what is relationship anarchy? And yeah. I'm like, here's this cool tool and visual. Yeah. Go study it up. Start Come thinking. Come to me with questions. Yeah. yeah. Start thinking. I'm not gonna, yeah, I need you to do some yeah. – Labor on your some own. Some reflection. <laughs> well, not even labor, just like reflection so that we even have some shared like sure. verbiage, sure. I guess. Sure. Vocabulary can sure. be helpful so that I'm not just like spilling my anecdotal stories everywhere. Yeah. Because like that's unique to me, you know. Right. Um forgot where I was going. Well, let me ask you, what is relationship anarchy to you? Relationship anarchy is a deep commitment and orientation to prioritizing my essence to the world, Mm. my existence, my divinity, Mm. and, and using the words that you have, you know, shared today. Yeah. So that I am continually bringing curiosity to my experience Mm. of life. And through a lens of curiosity, not all the time. I'm not curious all the time. But what it does is it constantly puts me in relationship to that invitation Mm. to stay curious. You know, what's possible with this person? What's possible with this job? Yeah. You know? What can I bring or what are the boundaries I need in order to be in connection with what's available to me, right? Mm -hmm. And 
through that, there's immense freedom. Mm -hmm. It brings me so much freedom and security that in staying committed to myself, I'm also committed to the collective. Mm -hmm. So I think with relationship anarchy, a lot of times there's this idea of like hyper individuality. But actually, it puts me in in deep curiosity about like always where is there opportunity for connection. Yeah. And the connection is where I grow. The connection is where I heal. It's where I discover pleasure and joy. And it's also where I live with the grief and the pain. It's in connection. Mm -hmm. And by orienting to myself, it reminds me of like all of the ways in which I crave connection in order to keep discovering. Mm -hmm. Right? Yeah. And connection to not just people, connection to the land, connection to my city. I'm not enmeshed with anything, but I'm always practicing kind of this non-attachment, this like low expectation of return because I'm just inherently practicing gratitude for the fact that I get to be in relationship to it in this moment. Sure. And in this moment, if I am finding my joy and my pleasure and my gratitude with it now, then it doesn't matter what happens next. Yeah. Because I've already received what I could now. Yeah. Which means that inherently the potential of possibility for the future is mine to discover mm-hmm. and that makes me excited about living yeah rather than putting my safety in a false sense of control by trying to believe that any singular relationship or any job or anything is what's going to provide safety sure Sure. Yeah. 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 It's a long answer. No, it's great. It's great. Every single anarchist I asked gave me like that when I was doing my dissertation research. It was like a long expose, which is exactly what, you know, all of our hearts were deep thinkers and we're like, yeah, you know, so I'm all for it. Um, It's also when someone's like, yeah, let's talk about it. I'm like, get ready. You're like, yeah, that's what every single research participant was like, oh my God, I've been dying to do this. And I'm like, let's go, baby. Um, Because it means so much right like it's it's a it's a way to orient to life for some people and a philosophical orientation a, yeah. a political orientation yeah for me i i see myself as created in relationships right relationships to yeah other people relationships to society relationships to spirituality relationships to yeah the ecology right like all these things like create who i am i love how you talked about like it being connected to the ways that we are in connection with other people rather than maybe enmeshment like the words of interdependence have always like really rung true for me and so i i love hearing that that same sort of individual in the community right the self in relation that's Mm -hmm. like a lot of what relational cultural theory like the feminist psychologist like takes would always be like self in relation and I'm like yeah right and it's like relations to my body relations to my pets relationships to my garden relationships to you know like all of that that creates me relationship anarchy like holds space for the nuance of that and then how you actually do it right that's the subsequent question I asked in all my research is like how do you practice it right Yeah, that's, that's a, lot. a great question. Do I have to answer that? <laughs> no, you don't. Okay. Especially because we're close to <laughs> so time. I think we have yeah, time no, for that. I know. <laughs> but I think maybe in some ways we could also say that you've answered it in the last hour. Yeah. Right? Definitely. There's been many points at which you've tied back how, like, the concept and the practice of relationship anarchy is such like a pinpoint for you in all these different areas, like your spirituality and how you move. I will also, the world. like, offer this to anyone listening that I'm 
new to using the language of relationship anarchy, but I have been self-orienting for I've heard that a lot too. Years, yeah. right? So I also just want to like affirm people who maybe feel like mm, they don't get to to embody something be- fully because you have to – there's like this sense of earning credibility. Like sure. that's all fucking bullshit. Language is only as powerful as it serves you. So if relationship anarchy stops feeling good, stop using it and, mm-hmm. and invent other language, yeah. you know? It's only as useful as it brings connection. Sure. And then beyond that – Let's just go camping together. And I'm sure I'll learn a lot yeah. about you <laughs> and how you practice relationship anarchy sure. right? without asking for a dissertation. Sure. Um, yeah. Which I also support your dissertation. Ah! Yeah, I try to at least do it through like a um, a lens, that, a specific type of psychological research that respects the individual lived experience of each thing, right? Like you're going to have an understanding of relationship and it's like hermeneutical, phenomenological research. I respect your existential experience of that word, my existential. Every other person has like a lived experience to that word that is unique, right? So yeah. like, and yeah. and that's beautiful, right? That's and we don't kind we don't of have the fucking to fucking point. To, well, well, totally, right? Like we don't have to hit this one definition of what yeah. anything means. Maybe there's similar themes we can pick out themes, but it's what you want it to be. Yeah, and that's the that is the whole point, right? Is yeah. like. You were ta- the whole point. If I can make any claim on the whole point, right? It's like <laughs> taking away prescriptive hierarchies and yeah. ways of being in power and coming into a descriptive, creating what you want, right? To understand and connection to people. But yes, maybe, maybe I've now made a claim that you know, I, should, no, I don't know. <laughs> I think that I think. I think we yeah. all can stand to be more curious about what we believe about ourselves. Sure. And yeah. in getting more curious, you find more layers. And as you do that, like language evolves with you. Totally. You know, but you do have to get messy. Yes. And you do have to fail. <laughs> and you yeah. do have to fuck up a lot no. to learn. Like, we didn't even get into my failed relationships. Oh, sure. <laughs> and I don't even want to call them failed because right. they really were just like teachers. Learning, yeah. yeah, they were all all things I'm really grateful for. Yeah. People I'm really grateful for. And, and that's the other thing is like, it puts me back into gratitude. Once I really reframe pain that I experienced in those breakups is like also like I was so enmeshed with my last partner and that was when I like really doubled down on relationship anarchy is like oh no like this I've seen how this creates harm to somebody else Mm. you know like over loving or over over giving past my capacity as a way of like earning love did not work out for me You can practice and say you're doing a thing as much as you want, but until you're in relationship and you're fucking up, like, those patterns will come back. Yeah. It doesn't matter what you call yourself, sure. <laughs> you know? Yeah. So have some patience uh, and grace for yourself because you have to be messy in order to, like, find that connective tissue. That's true. It's true. Growth is always messy. It's always messy, and that's, like, an inevitable piece of it. And, you know, part of – the one question that I ask everyone on the podcast, right? What is it that you want to normalize? I'd be curious. Like, how would you – yeah, how would you want to answer that, especially given what you just said about the messiness of growth? I wish people knew that the resilience is beyond anything you can imagine mm-hmm. and that you really do have 
the power within yourself to choose what serves you. Mm. You can trust that the more you listen to that voice, the stronger you'll become. Mm-hmm. And regardless of like what your circumstance is, you can trust yourself. Mm. You can. And it might be really scary because if you're not used to believing that, it can be hard to find that voice. It can be hard to find that intuition. Yeah. But the only way to do it is to practice. So yeah. you can trust that voice that's talking to you, that's saying, I don't know if I agree with that or I'm attracted to this thing and I want to explore it more or this person or this experience. You don't have to know the why to be able to believe that that gets to be true and that gets yeah. to be real. Yeah. Until you experience it and find the next thing that, gets your attention mm-hmm. and asks that little voice to speak a little bit louder. Yeah, your inner healing wisdom. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And if you are your worst critic, <laughs> that's the tricky piece of listening to the voice, but the voice can also go the other way. It can. So that's the tricky piece, right? So it's like being able to like suss those two out, have support, whatever it looks like to be able to navigate those two and like yeah. find the nuance of that. Yeah, that inner healing wisdom, that like peace that is always kind of guiding us towards our like expansion. Well, I think that's why curiosity. It's yeah. like to me, curiosity is intuition. Yeah. Because it's it's the thing that's craving it wants to know. <gasps> Yeah. What about this? Yeah. What about that? Expansion. Right. Exactly. It's craving expansion. And if that means you're curious about learning more about plants or you're curious about learning more about polyamory or yeah. somatic therapy or Buddhism. That's the inner healing wisdom. Follow it. Ba ba ba. Yeah. <laughs> Keep going, baby. Follow it. <laughs> yeah. 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 Absolutely. You can trust yourself. Yeah. Yeah. Beautiful. Well, thank you for coming on to the podcast and being so vulnerable and, yeah, sharing about your journey and everything that relationship anarchy means to you. It's been such a a joy to Mm. get to take up this space and connect with you and, yeah, and share some of the things that have helped because I always think, like, man – I wish I would have had this when, you know, so that also is a huge part of like platforms like yours that I think are, are really vital and important is like, yeah, I wish I had your podcast five years ago, you know, Um, and I'm honored to get to be a part of it. Well, thank you for making it with me today. If you enjoyed today's episode, then leave us a five-star review wherever you listen to your podcast. And head on over to modernanarchypodcast.com to get resources and learn more about all the things we talked about on today's episode. I want to thank you for tuning in and I will see you all next week.